As many parts of the country start to reopen in this season of quarantine, it's exciting to look forward to implementing our new skills as an online community, but especially to get back to the togetherness that is such a part of homeschool networks. Today, one of my heroes in homeschooling, Annette Scarpa, will talk about creating group activities that benefit your kids. Stay with us. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host, and today we're talking with Annette Scarpa about creating group activities that benefit your kids. A little about my dear friend, Annette. She was born and raised in multicultural Queens, New York. She wasn't homeschooled, but she did all of her schooling within a few miles of home, from Catholic school to Catholic college and on to St. John's Law School as a Thomas More scholar. She's just uh, really had that New York education uh, close to home. So after law school, she clerked for a couple of years for a federal judge in the Eastern District of New York, pursued a career at a high-powered Manhattan litigation firm. During that period, she met and married her wonderful husband, Joe, who brought her back to the church with answers to all the questions no one else ever seemed to be able to answer, using good old-fashioned logic in a very impressive Catholic home library. So Annette worked up until the first day their, their child was taken home from the hospital, their first baby boy. And she started homeschooling when her oldest of three was in second grade. They were disenchanted with the implementation of the Montessori method at their private school. So right after that, they jumped into the Immaculate Heart of Mary homeschool group here on Long Island, which I've been blessed to be a part of as well. And they attend St. Killian's Catholic Parish. They can often be found working with their guide dogs and visiting other churches with their son who works as a substitute organist. Just a fantastic family, just so invested in the community and in their parish. Annette, thank you so much. I know you're one of the busiest people I know for making time today for this conversation. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I love it. I have plenty of time right now during this quarantine. (laughs) You'd never know it, the way you're taking care of so many people and serving out in the community. But I I do appreciate, nevertheless, let's jump right into our topic. Why have group activities in particular been such an important part of your children's education? Well, I mean, there's so many benefits that come from from group activities. Um, The first of them, I'd say, is it gives children another opportunity to make friends. And while homeschool children have plenty of opportunities to socialize with kids in the neighborhood or at church or through sports, homeschool activities allow our children to meet others who are being raised with a similar educational philosophy and who will be around potentially for the long haul in their lives. Group activities also, you know, they they add some fun into education. I mean, what's more fun, sitting at your kitchen table alone sketching or sketching while you're bantering with your friends and observing how they're doing it and looking at their results? It's it's definitely more fun to do certain things with, with other students. You know, while there are subjects that are inherently solitary, um, where the student does have to slog through it solo for the most part, like math, um, every subject doesn't need to be that way. You know, reading is solitary, but discussing literature um, requires other people, and it's great for them to hear other perspectives. So I I am a big fan of group activities, and uh, I think everyone should implement them in their homeschool to the extent they can. 
just so everyone knows, while you've been homeschooling your three children, I was homeschooling my only child, and we just hitched our wagon to the Scarpa's star. You know, we really did jump into everything that you organized and benefited so greatly. It was like a little micro community in the center of a very large community that, that grew very rapidly and not only provided that extra fun and that opportunity to for different perspectives and all the laughter and bonding that happened, but also the opportunity to have a little tribe, a more manageable community that really helped the children to bond in a big way. I feel like, and in fact, my daughter feels the same way that you're like family to us now. Oh, yeah. you guys are. <laughs> we are special to each other. I think that's, that's something that we've, we've touched on over the years. So where do the ideas come from? How do you think of ideas for and plan group activities that are going to be valuable? I have planned a lot of group activities, and I'm very blessed that most of them have been well-received. But I, I think the reason that they have been successful is because I listen um, and because I'm lazy. <laughs> I have to say, I'm actually, I listen and I'm lazy. Those are the two main um, secrets to my success. I listen to my children and I observe what they need. Um, but I think most parents do that. Um, but I also listen to the other homeschool moms when they talk about what their homeschool needs are and what they're struggling with. And then I can try to figure out a way to fill a need, um, a need that we have and a need that they have that's going to be uh, in a way that's academically rich and low cost and fun. Um, but that's where the this is where the lazy part comes in. Um, I can't teach every class. I can't run every activity. I, I'm just not I'm not cut out to do it. I don't have the skills to do it in every case. Um, but I can recognize other people's gifts and talents. Sometimes they're in our own homeschool group, or sometimes they're not. There are people that are not in the homeschool group, and I can invite those people to to lead a particular activity. Um, and I just, I'm just the one who organizes it and hosts. So um, by doing my part in organizing, I try to keep things super simple. Um, and I let try to let the people that are good at what they're good at teach and not interfere. And things seem to always work out pretty well. Yeah, I've noticed that you, you have an eye for the right person. Um, you know when you've encountered somebody who not only has good credentials, uh, good training, good background, but also a passion for the subject. And that's something that homeschoolers are very keen on, that the people who teach them really love learning and love their subjects. Finding that right person is, is critical. Yeah, and you de definitely have been very good at that. I'm a, I'm a strengths coach, so I, I'm already thinking, yep, you must have individualization. <laughs> okay, so you've got all sorts of strengths. What are some of the favorite activities over the years that you've organized or been a part of? Well, I mean, the first thing that always comes to my mind is our homeschool Shakespeare theater troupe, um, Blackfriars Cultural Arts. Um, that's just been such a big part of what we've done for the last 10 years, and it's really shaped um, not just my homeschool, but a lot of others who have participated in it. Yeah, I can attest to that. I really have just watched so many benefits from them. What's, what made you take on such a, a, really a huge task? We're talking about, well, first explain a little bit more about what Blackfriars is, and then we can talk about the magnitude of what you took on. <laughs> okay. Well, the Blackfriars is a it's a home sh a homeschooled theater troupe. We do um, predominantly Shakespeare plays, full-length Shakespeare plays, um, you know, un unabridged, and they are performed by homeschool students who have ranged in age from seven to, you know, eighteen years old, 
And they've been directed, every one of them has been directed by a homeschooled student, usually at one of the more senior high school students. And it's a student-run organization. They, they do almost everything themselves, especially as the years have gone on, of course, when this first started and they were little. Um, you know, we parents had to help more with um, costumes and sets and things. But even now at this point, they, they do a lot of that stuff on their own. And it's completely student-directed. It's just been fantastic because I know I was a little timid about certain things. And you, at a fairly young age, kind of pointed to my daughter and said, you're going to be our next director for next year. And she was like, yeah, let me add it. And I just hadn't seen that in her. You, that's that thing about the being able to see people's potential that's such a gift in you. And then she thrived in it and really loved and, and really grew from the experience of being trusted. She, you've invited her into the casting process and, and other aspects of production and um, that have been really good for her. And you've done that for a lot of the students. So what was the original genesis of the idea of putting together a full-blown uh, Shakespeare troupe with a lot of young children and different kinds of families and family cultures coming together. What, what made you step into those deep waters? Well, you know, it's really one step at a time. I was never expecting this to be a 10-year project. Really, it just started when my daughter, my oldest daughter, my daughter, she's, she's 17 now. She was seven at the time. She wanted to be a fairy. Uh, she was a very early reader, very imaginative and articulate. And she had heard about a student production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. And she asked me, she really begged, if she could just be a fairy in it. Just let me be a fairy. Can I please be a fairy? I'll just put on a costume. I don't need any part. Um, but that wasn't possible. But it was the impetus that I needed to put together another play so she could be a fairy. Um, and since I love Shakespeare and I fully expected my children in my homeschool to read his work, um, doing a Shakespeare play seemed like a logical choice. And talking to others, I discovered there was a lot of interest in doing Shakespeare. And uh, so we, you know, we, we, chose the, um, we chose a Midsummer Night's Dream. And my daughter did get to be a fairy. She, she ended up being playing Titania, which is, a, is a, the queen of the fairies, who had a, um, a speaking role and a long monologue. And it was a great experience for her at such a young age to play that part. And almost all the students that were in that play were uh, between seven and maybe 12 or 13 at that point. So they all, they all got their start together and we were doing one play and then it was such a great experience. We did it again and again and again and again and again for, for basically nine more years, you know. Though it had, had someone said to me from the beginning, you're going to be doing a Shakespeare play every year for nine years, I might have said, you're out of your mind. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and you've done some of the greats. You've done tragedies and comedies and, and the children have all had the opportunity to be part of an ensemble in smaller roles, but they've also from a young age been taking on really meaty major roles with hundreds of lines oh, and, yeah. and completely rose to the occasion. What kinds of learning did you see resulting from that kind of a challenge? Well, I mean, let's just start with the directing. Uh, you know, directing a, a children's play is not my gift. Um, <laughs> and it really wasn't the gift of most of the other moms I talked to. But um, there was one of the homeschool teens, super bright. Um, her name is Allie Gunther. And she stepped up to direct our group of, of youngsters in A Midsummer Night's Dream. And as a bonus, her extremely talented sister, Mary, who I didn't know very well at that point, um, also worked with her. They worked together as a team. Um, so they had a great experience, you know, learning all the things that you can learn by directing. Um, and, and that was the, those were the older students. Um, 
you know, the younger, the younger kids, uh, you know, learn, learn so much more, of course. Um, obviously, they all became well, well acquainted with Shakespeare. Mine still pick up his plays and read them for fun. Um, I'm sure it made them stronger readers and with strong vocabularies. I always like to say, if you can read Shakespeare, you can read anything. <laughs> and and they, don't, they don't seem to find reading Shakespeare difficult at all at this point. It's, it's just, you know, completely normal to them. Then, of course, the younger children, you know, when they were younger, they practiced getting up in front of an audience and they learned basic acting skills and the importance of projecting their voices. Yeah, the teens, of course, they learned their organizational and leadership skills. And, you know, as adults, getting out of their way, for the most part, they learned how to problem solve. And, you know, they got everything done. The, um, the rehearsals, for sure, did not look like rehearsals that you would see um, being conducted by a seasoned professional or a high school. But I don't think that in the end, <laughs> the, uh, any, any production with um, children this age could possibly have been better with experienced adults being in charge. They just did such a phenomenal job. Everyone rose to the occasion. And I'd like to just insert an, a piece that our listening audience wouldn't know, and that is that the two teenagers who so willingly and lovingly for a number of years directed these plays had grown up in the same way, feeding on Shakespeare's plays, acting in them from a young age. So they already had a passion for the subject. And so they were highly developed in terms of their appreciation of the language, the humor, the opportunities for physical comedy, and lots of other skills that had been honed in them, and then they passed passed on so that the next couple of generations of up-and-coming directors were able to really stand on those shoulders. Um, it, it was really something to watch and really shy kids learning to speak lines on stage and do actions together. It's a little bit of a challenge if you're a really shy kid being in front of an audience, but the magic of the theater too, that sense that Somehow on opening night, it all comes together, gaffes and all, to make an incredible experience for the audience. I think just after all the hard work and all the beauty of being together and creating and working hard under pressure of a deadline, that, that wonderful coming together that, you know, that we refer to as the magic of the theater, that knowing and sensing the experience of the audience and the feedback afterwards is also another whole layer of learning and confidence building, which was just great to watch. Absolutely. Absolutely. The poison confidence that these kids developed was incredible. I never expected it to happen. Um, it, it was really impressive. <laughs> and, um, and of course it wasn't just, and it wasn't just the, um, the poison confidence uh, at, at, of them acting, but as they got older, many of them took on that role of directing, which, you know, that requires a lot of confidence to do too. You know, um, my son um, directed, who, who started out in the very first play at age of eight playing Puck, by the time he was a teenager was directing A Midsummer Night's Dream and Hamlet. And my little fairy this year is directing um, Twelfth Night with her friend, they they had to navigate situations where there's a push and a pull with their peers. Um, and this, this helped them to develop their confidence and their leadership skills and their organizational skills. It, it, it absolutely had to happen um, in order for the play to, to you know, work out in the end, which it always does. We've talked about kind of short-term things of, you know, learning lines and the skills and all of that, and some of the long-term, the leadership, the poise and all of that. Any other, before we move on to other activities of fruits that you've seen come from the Shakespeare group? 
Well, I mean, the very first point I made when we started the podcast was um, to do group activities for friends, to make friends. And the working with the Blackfriars um, helped my kids and really all the kids in the group develop strong friendships. They had playmates when they were younger, which is very important when you're young, younger children. And, you know, as the kids have gotten older, they've kept in touch. And in many cases, students have graduated from high school, gone off to college, and they still keep in touch. Um, you know, and I, I have no doubt that with these, these kids having been scattered all over the country by college and moving and things, a lot of them are going to keep in touch throughout their lifetimes. Oh, yeah. I, I'm really seeing that from the point of view of my daughter who's finishing up her junior year in college. And who is she on the phone or FaceTiming with constantly, of course, during the quarantine when she's not studying for final exams? But her homeschool friends, largely. I mean, some of, there are some college friends, but really, on the whole, the, those deep friendships happened during those years at the Scarpus House doing Shakespeare and other things. So let's talk about, we have a, we've got plenty of time to talk about a couple more activities. Um, you started uh, what most people, I guess, would refer to as a co-op. You called it St. Mary's Meetup Mondays. And that's been enormously successful because of that, not only did you recognize a need, but lots of people came together and, and shared their gifts and their skills in a way that has really grown. Could you talk to us about that? Yes. Um, well, I before the meetup, I was um, hosting a lot of different activities at my house. You know, I was having an art class and a choir and a Spanish class, and these were great. You know, they were... Um, again, either taught by talented high school students or professionals with their doctorate in the field. And, you know, kids would come from far and wide to engage in these different activities at my house, and it was wonderful. So it became apparent that we needed a space, um, a space that was not my house, and a space that would permit us to allow uh, more than one activity to have to go on at a particular moment. That way, you know, families could um, engage all their children. While mom was out of the house, you know, at choir, um, someone else in the family with one kid, another child could be, you know, um, doing a Boy Scout class or, you know, learning math, that kind of thing. Um, we got very, very lucky. Uh, there was a local church and it had a, uh, an empty school building and a receptive pastor who allowed us to use that building one day a week for our homeschool activities. He adopted the program as a parish activity, which um, allowed us to not worry about insurance and those types of things. And uh, that space was definitely an answered prayer for us. So th there, had been, uh, there had been other you know, academic co-ops uh, in, our, in our homeschool group. But uh, many children uh, were not were not part of those were not part of the co-op for one reason or another. For some for some families, it was too expensive, or they wanted to use their own curriculum, or it just wasn't convenient for their families for some reason. But this uh, but this co-op uh, this it wasn't a co-op. It was really a meetup. I called it. It allowed all the families to participate. At, the, at whatever level they wanted. And, and, the, and the instructors for all these varying things from physical activities to SAT prep to science to literature to acting and on and on and on. I mean, the list of different activities that goes on at St. Mary's uh, is really incredible. Who, who are the people providing all of this amazing uh, instruction? 
Well, <laughs> that's the funny part. We never know at the beginning of the year really what's going to be taught. It's all a matter of who volunteers to teach. Um, and, you know, the, the, the moms and the dads who are there with their, with their families, they all have their own passions and interests. They're interesting people. They're talented and educated and educated people. And they want to contribute to the group. So as a, they volunteer to teach different subjects and, you know, sometimes their own children are not even in that class, but they still teach it. And their children are in some other mom's class, you know, learning some other skill that they don't necessarily, that their parent doesn't necessarily have. Um, so it's a really beautiful way. Everyone's just, you know, given of themselves. Um, and by and large, the only cost for these classes is a materials fee. Um, and so the kids, you know, they have they have access to a, a real selection of different things they can do starting at 10 in the morning until three in the afternoon. And, you know, sometimes if you have a large family, not everyone is going to uh, find something at any given moment that they're interested in. But there's there was a field. There's a field outside. They go out and find their friends and they play in the field and out in the sunshine and the fresh air. It's it's wonderful. It's really there's something for everybody. So well. Yeah, it's, it's really been incredible. And I, I think another thing, just to note as far as logistics, not only did you have this pastor who had a newly renovated wing of a school that was not being used at the time for anything on a regular basis other than parish uh, religious education classes on certain days, um, there were requirements there. Everyone had to be Virtus trained and everyone had to sign agreements and there were some hoops to jump through. But the, the attitude your attitude as an organizer has been, hey, here we go. Who's got who's got courses that they want to share or who has ideas? And people just flocked. And every year that it shifts around a little bit, my daughter as a teenager, at your suggestion, again, was able to uh, put together a writing group for teens as well as a little theater group for the younger children and taught basic acting. And they put on little programs for the people at St. Mary's uh, for the meetup days. Um, the opportunities for the older kids to start to step in and start to create their own content in a sense uh, was also that next stepping off. There's that, that, there's always that sense of an on-ramp, you know, into the real world that's gradually happening with all of your activities. Yes. I, I, I always like to give the teens, um, really anyone who wants it, an opportunity to, you know, to, to step into something new, to rise to the occasion, to feel so to feel some responsibility because I know that they can do it. You know, my son um, volunteered to teach a coding class and he did that and it was very popular in that little subset of kids that wanted to learn coding. Um, another one of the teens taught art. Your daughter taught acting. You know, it, it was great. Um, and then you have, you know, a mom who was a, um, she was a uh, speech and debate coach in high school. She was a, a teacher before she homeschooled. I guess that still makes her a teacher, but um, you know what I mean? She, um, <laughs> she teaches speech and debate every, every quarter. Um, and I don't, I don't know if she has a child in that class all the time, or one of her own children in there, but she just really in, enjoys doing it. And we even have a, um, a veteran uh, homeschool mom. Her kids are all graduated and they're adults now. And, and she comes every week and she teaches science. It's, it's so, it's so needed and it's so appreciated um, it's and it's just it's a wonderful uh, community activity. Oh yeah, and and now you've done things on a large scale, but but you insist that you're lazy, and and you're one of those rare people who is extremely productive, but mo uh, 
almost all of my memories of you are relaxed memories. You, you have a way of being able to see the big picture, what needs to be done, and very, you're very comfortable delegating and sharing and trusting other people to follow through. There's certainly safety nets in terms of agreements and all of that, um, and you follow through. And I'm not saying you're not working hard, but you're, you know, to use a cliche, you're really working smart. Well, I, I try, I try to, to do what I'm able to do. You know, I'm not able to teach um, speech and debate. I'm not able to teach biology. Uh, I'm not an artist. I'm not going to teach an art class. But I can, um, I can make a schedule up, and I can make sure all the trash cans get emptied at the end of the day. And, um, you know, I can lock up the building, and I can, you know, make sure that someone's running interference with um, the, the people who are working in the building that, that uh, need to be, um, you know, spoken with and, and negotiated with about the facilities. And that's, that's the kind of thing that I'm able to do. But it's all really behind the scenes type of work. And I, and I do, I try to, and it's important to try to find ways to make that burden as, you know, as the least possible because, you know, it, it, it enables you to do more things and it, it doesn't make everything um, a burden. So, so you're not afraid of taking on a group activity. If we didn't have a, a code of conduct um, and expectations about, you know, really just perfectly normal and reasonable expectations about children's behavior, um, I, I wouldn't want to be the disciplinarian for the school, but, but it's not a school, it's a meetup. But, um, but now I can just say, hey, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, you know, your child is doing this and that, and can you go take care of it? And they, they do. You know, I don't, I, don't need to, um, I don't need to take that role on, you know. And I, I also don't need to know, unlike in a real school, I don't need to know what anyone's school schedules are for classes. Some of the children come for the first, the first week and they say, Oh, I, I don't know my schedule. And I'm like, I don't know your schedule. <laughs> whatever your mom and you sign, whatever you and your mom signed up for, I don't even have a master list. I don't need to have a master list. You know, <laughs> I posted this, I post the schedule and you sign up for the classes. You go directly to the teachers. I don't know if there's five kids in the class or 50 kids in the class. It's, it's not, not my problem, you know? So, but if, but if I had to keep those kinds of records, it would really become too much of a burden. So I, I try to keep things as simple as I can. I hope everyone's hearing that, that the every, everyone is expected in the most natural way. It's not a stern way at all, but expected to be responsible for themselves. And, you know, of course, there are guidelines that have to be met, but, but it's really up to them to make it work. And out of that, openness to people's capability and that trust that people can make this work for themselves have come all kinds of really cool things you wouldn't necessarily assume were going to happen, like the moms led by one mom in particular praying throughout the day. There's a little chapel area set up in what used to be the gymnasium because there are Sunday masses uh, held there. And so there's a little area where there's a tabernacle and the moms are praying rosaries throughout the day and things like that. So the children know as well as the adults that if they have some spare time, they can slip into that space and have some time with our Lord. And, and you know, so like that's, that's a big superpower of this as well as your ability to kind of let everybody live into their own strengths and, and, and create and work cooperatively together. You're not micromanaging. Right. I, you know what? And if someone weren't minding the rosary all day long, none of this probably would have worked out as well as it did. Exactly. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm grateful that someone stepped up to do that. That was Alice Gunther, by the way. So she's she's there, you know, four hours a day, 
in the in the chapel. Well, not the entire time, but she'll say the rosary on the hour, um, you know, for for four hours during the day. It's a great benefit for everyone, you know. Mm-hmm. And and a beautiful example. Uh, all the moms and dads being leaders, being generous, being in relationship face to face when we're in such a digital culture. You know, we're all looking forward to getting back to that togetherness. And if anyone's really nervous about creating activities, start small. All of these things started small. You know, it was over the course of some years of creating smaller activities in your home and that before it grew to the point where there was a need for something with more space and and more structure and all of that. Um, And everyone, before I forget, and we'll have Annette's final comments here too, that on the show notes, we'll have where you can find Annette on Facebook and also a link to her Blackfriars website because it's it became uh, the kids worked together and made a nonprofit where they have done outreach and shared Shakespeare plays in the community. And so that's something really interesting for you to look at too. But as we draw to a close, Annette, what are some final thoughts about what this all can mean to your family and and maybe as you're looking forward, what do you see for your own activities? Our, our homeschool would not would have been a, a huge fail without all the group activities. I don't think my children would be as um, happy or as well educated as they are. Um, I'm so glad I I planned and every one of them and they participated in them. Uh, and I and I I really just encourage everyone to to try to, um, you know, to do the same, to just to set, to set up one thing, just set up one thing. It could be six weeks. It doesn't have to be a huge commitment. It doesn't have to be a 10 year commitment. It doesn't have to be a co-op with, with 200 people. It could just be a simple group around your kitchen table with, with five or six children, two of, two of whom are yours. <laughs> um, <laughs> it really is. It, that would be, that would be just great too. Um, and uh, activities for the future, it's pretty hard to know what we're going to be doing next year, um, whether we'll be allowed to use our space again, um, whether we'll be doing classes on Zoom. I guess that'll have to be, uh, you know, decided a little bit later in the summer, but I'm looking forward to something. We are working on our play again this, this, uh, this summer. It might, the rehearsals might have to take place outdoors. And I don't know whether or where we'll be able to perform yet, but... I'm just going to take, you know, take things one step at a time. And really, I think that's just the only way to do, to do anything. Just take it one step at a time. Don't worry about the long, the long run. Just, just do one little thing and then it'll build on that. Amen. And I just like to say as one final testimony to how impactful these things are, that my daughter has very happy memories of learning to do basic sewing stitches around your table with another mom you know, learning Spanish together and having a lot of laughs. Um, The learning process ends up being that foretaste of the heavenly communion. I know that that may sound melodramatic, but it's absolutely true that that fellowship and even overcoming some of the friction occasionally, although we had very little, all just made our kids more ready for life and more excited about life, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. Always willing to try something new and, and, and to do it with your friends is, all, is always more fun. Amen. And hopefully they'll all be in heaven together someday. Amen. And that's not what it's all about. Annette, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much it means to me that we were able to have this conversation today and we both have a lot pulling on us. 
So it was a little bit of doing to get this time together. Appreciate you very, very much and can't wait to see what you'll do next. Oh, thank you for asking me to do this. I'm, I'm really happy we had this opportunity. Oh, thank you. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in. And please hold on just a couple more minutes for our short feature coming right up. Hi, I'm AJ Catapan. Welcome to Books and Blessings, a place where I get to share with you some of my favorite books for Catholic teens and tweens. Today, I'd like to introduce you to Mission Libertad, a middle grade novel by Catholic author Lizette Lentigua and published by Pauline Books. This historical novel tells the story of one boy and his family fleeing communist Cuba in the late 1970s. Although it's set in the past, this tale of refugees coming to America couldn't be more relevant today. When the story begins, 14-year-old Lucito Ramirez has just been awakened by his parents in the middle of the night. They are escaping from their home in Cuba, where the communist government controls everything, including their house. They had lived in a mansion, but the government seized it, split it into four apartments, and forced Lucito, his parents, and his grandmother to live in just a one-bedroom unit. When Lucito and his parents sneak out in the middle of the night, they leave behind Lucito's abuela, or grandmother, but not before Abuela whispers to him important instructions for a special mission he must carry out once he reaches America. Lucito and his parents take a makeshift raft on the dangerous 90-mile voyage from Cuba to the United States. When the Coast Guard picks them up, Lucito needs to be treated for dehydration and heat stroke before they are sent to a refugee processing center. Eventually, his mother's cousin comes to pick them up, and the family moves to Maryland. While Lucito tries to settle into life in America, he also worries about his grandmother back in Cuba, who meets secretly with a priest regarding the special mission she had given Lucito on the night he left. Leaving one's homeland is never a decision made lightly. Ms. Lantiga's book helps readers to understand why so many Latin Americans have and continue to flee political and religious oppression and make the dangerous voyage to the United States. I've read many books about immigrants in the past few years, but Mission Libertad stands out among the crowd because the author is not afraid to address the issue of how Fidel Castro worked to squelch Catholicism in Cuba. This is an important lesson in history that is often skipped in the textbooks. Mission Libertad by Lizette Lintigua has been awarded the Catholic Writers Guild seal of approval. To see more book suggestions, visit my website at ajcatapan.com. There you can also learn more about my own books for young readers, including my middle grade novel, Seven Riddles to Nowhere. Thanks for joining me on Books and Blessings. Be sure to find me online on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or on my website, ajcatapan.com. Until next time, happy reading. That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.